Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog sponsored by Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Greetings, folks. I'm Scott Postma, your host, and today we have Dante scholar Joe Carlson with us, and we are super excited to talk about Dante. Joe, thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, Joe, one of the things that we love to do before we even get started talking about some of the nuts and bolts of um, Dante, uh, which I'm really excited to do, is to learn a little bit about you. And if you wouldn't mind sharing us a, uh, sharing with us a little bit about your own education journey, why is it important? How did you go about it? And uh, that's always a treat uh, for our folks. Of course. Um, I am a, uh, just start with a, a little bit about me. I am a uh, a Christian. I am a Reformed Baptist Christian, uh, which which might be a little interesting for those who have noticed the uh, the handle uh, Dante Scholar uh, <laughs> and Reformed Baptist don't often go together. Um, I'm setting about to change that. Um, I went to uh, New St. Andrews College back in the day, about 20 years ago. Um, my wife and I both went there. We were married uh, between our sophomore and junior year, finished college together, graduated and moved back home to Central Coast, California, where uh, various paths uh, were before us. God was limiting us to, to one of those, which ended up being a, a whole seminary education in itself. I was the director of operations for a family of coffee shops. <laughs> um, so if you ever want to know, get to know people, how to respond to people, how to talk with people, how to minister to people, uh, serve them coffee. Um, you see them at their first. Um, so that was uh, intense, and uh, we praise God that he brought us out of that, but that was an education all of it, all on its own. Um, from there, I, I went to, uh, actually uh, went from lay ministry into vocational ministry at our church. I became an elder and a uh, co-pastor. Did that for seven years. This is the church that both my wife and I grew up in, in Central Coast, California. It was a great honor and a great pleasure. Um, uh, if God had allowed us to stay there, uh, I would have been perfectly content. Um, but of course, we can look back and go, oh, there's lots of things that God has for us that uh, we don't realize at the time. And uh, this being uh, one of them, this whole new journey into Dante uh, being one of them. Um, uh, during that time, we were able to start, uh, we were able to see the handwriting on the wall a little bit that our small little 80 member mountain church couldn't support in, in Santa Cruz, California of all places, mm. just afford two full time pastors, two vocational pastors. Um, and so I, I branched out, uh, started getting my, since I was the sidekick, um, I was the expendable one, um, branched out and I got my master's, uh, through university of Dallas in Irving, Texas. And, uh, did that, one of the reasons I chose them, um, there's a host of them, but one of the reasons was they had enough credits available, enough courses available online to where I could do the entire, uh, get my entire master's uh, MA in humanities um, done distance from, distance from Santa Cruz. Um, and so that was amazing. We didn't have to travel at all. I could do it all uh, from the comfort of our living room. Uh, got that done in 2021, in the spring of 2021. And that's where I wrote my master's on uh, my master's thesis on Dante and education, uh, a doxological pedagogy, mm. um, seeing uh, what Dante is doing in his media and also in one of his lesser known philosophical works, the Convivio, uh, the banquet, uh, that the education is, is very much tied to uh, what is our chief end uh, as created beings, which, you know, the Westminster Shorter says to, to enjoy God and glorify, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, education has very much to do with training us and equipping us for that. And Dante, I think, uh, gets that uh, to some degree. Obviously, he's a, a 14th central medieval, 14th century medieval, and so he would phrase it differently. Uh, but I think that's very much, the, the heart of that is very much what's going on in his works. So I was, I was drawing that out in my master's thesis, loving Dante. Um, getting getting way too deep um, for my own good and for uh, uh, but we we enjoy that so much that when the opportunity to uh, do PhD work 
uh, here at University of Dallas came up that that same spring. Uh, we decided, and, and again, various circumstances, um, financially, uh, financial reasons, um, various circumstances leading us to needing to leave California. We decided to move out here to Irving and pursue this full time. So I'm a full time doctoral student here at University of Dallas. Um, halfway through the program, uh, the goal is to then teach at the college level uh, wherever God directs us uh, after this this season. So in another year and a half or so, uh, move on. So there you go. Yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> so many things I always get torn between uh, interrupting to uh, ask questions further or just come back to them. <laughs> but then they, they start stacking up. There's so many questions. So so this is really intriguing to me. So And you already mentioned this, so I think we can just dive right into it. And, and you, you mentioned being a Reformed Baptist. And then finding yourself going deep into Dante was was your experience at UD was that the first introduction you had to Dante or had you experienced Dante before that? No, we we had read him uh, at NSA um, as undergrads, but honestly, who really understands Dante read in three weeks um, when you're twenty? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like okay, yeah, you you recognize that there are three. Uh, stages of the afterlife, and this guy Dante goes through them all and sees God at the end, and that's basically the 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 sum of what you get from that kind of reading. So we had read him as undergrads, um, but it was later. Uh, um, it was actually right after Michael Ward uh, wrote Planet Narnia when that mm, came out. Yeah, I had uh, been a you know, uh, you know an avid Lewis reader um, ever since college, and I loved Michael Ward's book. Uh, absolutely loved it, and a buddy and a, of mine and I were were talking. Okay, this this makes complete sense in terms of the 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 chronicles, the the seven heavens of the Ptolemaic cosmology, the medieval cosmology. Um, that framework maps onto the chronicles beautifully. Uh, and we were asking, well, how about has anybody ever connected the seven liberal arts mm. with the seven planetary heavens? You know, moon through Saturn. Um, and so I, I just did a Google search and lo and behold, this, this guy, Dante Alighieri in one of his lesser known philosophical works called the Convivio does exactly that. Uh, he maps the, the, the seven liberal arts onto, um, and, 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 and more, not just this, the, the trivium and the quadrivium, but even then, um, physics, metaphysics and moral philosophy, uh, get mapped onto, uh, physics and metaphysics metaphysics get mapped onto the fixed stars so the eighth circle the eighth sphere and then uh and we're just diving right in right here so you know <laughs> keep up um uh, and then moral philosophy gets mapped onto the prima mobile the ninth sphere mm. and then uh theology and and again this is where the idea that of theology as queen of the sciences that medieval notion uh comes in theology then gets mapped onto the 10th heaven the empyrean or where God is, or uh, that is God. Um, uh, so I, I was reading this online, and I just, this is, well, two things. One, the first is this is really hokey, because his, his <laughs> identifications of uh, the moon and grammar are really forced and ham-handed. It's like he's, he's just you know grasping at things. But what he's trying to do with that, I found fascinating. Um, and maybe we can get into that a little bit later, but, uh, that's what brought me back to Dante. I started reading the comedy again. Um, and then there is this, there's this section in, uh, Canto 10 of Terdizo. They're in the sphere of the sun and Beatrice looks down, uh, at, or yeah, looks down at Dante and says, give thanks, give thanks to the son of angels who has brought you to this sphere of perception by his grace. Mm. And then Dante says, um, actually, let me, let me just quote it because it's just beautiful. Um, he says, heart of mortal was never so disposed to devotion, to give itself to God so swiftly with all its grateful assent as I then made my own at her urging. Indeed, all my love fixed itself on him that Beatrice was eclipsed and forgot. Wow. And I've, I've never, and since then I've, I still have never heard anyone really draw, uh, uh, draw any commentary on or, or, or produce any commentary on this passage. But it's so powerful, the, the fact that Beatrice herself, the love of Dante's life, right? The, 
not just the erotic love from his youth, but also the intellectual love, the 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 figure of um, the guide, the mother, uh, everything that she represents, all of that teaching, education, um, all of that gets eclipsed in worship of Christ uh, there in the circle of the sun. And that image of, of, of Beatrice being eclipsed um, by the sun, uh, both S-U-N and S-O-N, of course, mm-hmm. stuck with me and, and grabbed hold of me uh, in a way that I couldn't let, that it wouldn't let me go. And that has led to a lot of thought and a lot of writing on what education is supposed to do. And so as a, as a Reformed Baptist, um, the, uh, the obvious, uh, the obvious um, issues are there, right? The, the Mary and the praying for the dead and, and all of that. But then you, you go, okay, he was a man of his time, right? He was a, he was a faithful Christian of the early 14th century born in the, the mid-13th century. He, he was a man of his time. And so I can give him charity. I can give him grace uh, and, and take what he does really, really well and be blessed by it and, uh, and not be overly concerned about the other elements that I might disagree with. Yeah, well, what you're, some of the things that you're, you're pointing to, um, you know, we're, you said he's a man of his times. I mean, this is the height of, you know, scholastic thought, you know, in, in ordering everything under, you know, logic, um, you know, uh, taking all knowledge and, and, and ordering it in, in a certain way. And it all points to theology where, you know, the liberal arts is a way of spiritual formation, preparing, you know, a person well, it's interesting because even the pagan Seneca, um, as a Stoic, he says that, you know, you can't instill virtue uh, through the liberal arts, but you can prepare the soul to receive virtue. Now, here's somebody without, you know, Christian thought and in, in realizing uh, what a, right. you know, what a what treat to think about this. And Dante really just brings that into being uh, through this poetic work. So um, that's beautiful. And, and in a context. In what? Right? In a Christian context, in yeah. a, with the understanding that, it is, it is God and, and through the work of the spirit, through the work of his word and, and in, in the work of the communion, communion of the saints, that that is fostered. It's not just sitting before a book and reading something that inculcates virtue. Uh, it's the lived experience of the, of the soul in relation to God that does. Well, I, I love that mere Christian uh, thought that you have in terms of, you know, realizing, you know, as a Reformed Baptist, there's particular, you know, um, distinctives that you would hold to, but then recognizing that what Dante is bringing to the table um, is is fairly rich. You, you even wrote an article, uh, Dante Protestant, and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe talk about that a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about the translation itself that you did. Sure. Um yeah, the 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 very first line um, is uh, is intentional, right? To to say, okay, of course, I'm being provocative, um, and I really am. I, I'm trying to to stir something up, stir reaction on all sides of every Christian river that there is. Um, <laughs> that uh, first of all, to realize that Dante, coming before the Reformation, is every bit as much of our shared heritage as Augustine and Anselm. Um, the, Athanasius, these guys that we would look to and go, okay, yeah, we maybe we wouldn't, uh, we don't tick every box with them down down the theological line. Uh, we don't share every single conviction, but uh, their work through the Spirit, their work in this world, and the theological advancement of, of truth and understanding of Scripture was really valuable. Um, and and that's the category that I would put Dante into. Um, yeah, there's things that I disagree with. There's things, there's doctrines that he holds to as a as a faithful churchman of the 14th century that uh, that make me squirm, um, <laughs> but not enough to to uh, make me put him down. There's enough fruit of the spirit I I see. There's enough fruit of the spirit uh, that is visible and tangible in his work um, that makes him a valuable uh, read and and not just a valuable read, but a, a brother in the Lord that I can look to and, and learn from. Um, and so the, the, the idea behind the article is, is not just to be provocative, though it is that, but to recognize the ways in which Dante himself was being protestantic, right? Wow. There's one, one of my, I, this is why I like telling everybody who asks me about this, but he put more popes in hell than Luther ever thought about. Right. <laughs> um, 
right? His his hell, his inferno is filled with clergy members um, because he saw the uh, the corruption, he saw the greed, he saw the the simony that was. I mean, a whole terrace, a whole ditch of the eighth level of hell is devoted to simony, um, the practice of of buying and selling offices in the church. Um, he saw this happening and he hated it. He saw the the greed of the popes and how they were trying to um, uh, take for themselves political power, civic power. And he's saying, whoa, 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 you guys, you need to stay in your lane. And then, and then also turning to the emperors and going, no, you need to stay in your lane too. Um, as a, as a side note, uh, and maybe this will open up a whole line of things, but something that I want to develop sometime is kind of a, a, a proto Kyperian sphere sovereignty that I see in Dante. Mm. Um, uh, especially in one of his other political works called De Monarchia, uh, where he develops this idea that that um, uh, popes are, have been given uh, authority over the church and Caesars or emperors, he, he's a big fan of world empire, have been given authority over the civic realm. And when those two authorities uh, maintain uh, their respective, uh, maintain themselves within their respective spheres, then the world is properly governed and temporal things and spiritual things are properly attended to uh, because uh, these authority figures are staying in their lanes. Um, anyway, it, it's a, it's a fascinating work um, and there's a lot going on. It actually got him banned. Uh, that book got banned by the church um, within the next century or so. It got put on the pro, uh, prohibition list um, for, for some of these ideas. Um, but with, within, so, Back to Dante as a as a protestantic figure, you see his reaction to the corruptions, and you see his desire to bring purity and to bring re- reformation. Um, and so maybe if he's not a um, a, a Luther figure, uh, he's very much a, a Erasmus figure, trying to trying to bring reformation from within, trying to bring bring um, purity and restoration of truth uh, within, and. And part of that, and this is one of the things I, I, I really appreciate about, appreciate about him, um, you know, we, we sometimes see the reaction to uh, the Protestant Reformation as a, um, a, a grasping after tradition over against Scripture. Maybe sometimes we, we see that happening. Dante brings us back to Scripture. He says, look to Scripture, look and see what God wrote in his word. I mean, obviously, he's not saying it just like this, but he's he's pointing uh, his readers back to what uh, was written in the word as their authority. And so the word brings an authority that obviously tradition doesn't hold because look at all of these popes within tradition that are now in the circles of hell. Yes, right. <laughs> because they have disobeyed the word. Um, and so it, uh, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And, and the other aspect of the article um, that I think is even more relevant for us is uh, just as a work, uh, as as a body of poetry, as a, as a the book of poetry, as a poem. Um, the comedy itself offers us a protestantic uh, work against our own worldviews, our own secular, modern, naturalistic, materialistic worldviews that have so insinuously seeped into our brains and our minds and our thought processes that we don't even know it, right? It's the water that we swim in. Um, And Dante comes like, like Lewis says in his introduction to the, uh, on the incarnation of Athanasius, it comes like that clean breeze from the centuries to, to blow away the, whatever it is that he said, the cobwebs that have been built up in our, in our minds. Um, He, he brings that cool, swift breeze uh, and, and offers a, a, an, an antidote to the times that we live in now uh, that expose our, our weaknesses and offer us strengths that we didn't know were available to us uh, as we look at God's world uh, outside of the mindset of the, the materialistic, naturalistic worldview. That's, it's delightful that you brought that up with you know Lewis talking about how that clean sea breeze of the centuries blows through our mind and Dante fulfills that because you know in in his uh, De Descriptione Temporum the um, uh, the lecture he gave when he accepted the chair of medieval and Renaissance literature Lewis talks about the fact that we as historians often or or as historians are looking at history um, we we make up periods obviously to study you know time frames and and different ideas that are shaping them 
but really there is no such thing as a period, you know, of, of history. No, you know, we don't wake up one day and say, well, scholastic period has begun and oh, uh, it's the end, you know, and, and we change. So when you look at somebody like Dante, you see this proto reformer, right. Um, and, and in the maybe similar vein, uh, a little bit different approach, but a similar vein is say Chaucer later on, um, guys who, you know, before the official date of 1517, you know, this reformation takes place, you have, um, committed Christian people, men of their own times, Charlemagne go back to 800, you know, he's a man of his times, you know, and, and right. so there's things that, you know, we appreciate about Charlemagne, but we don't always agree with. Um, we, we recognize though, that throughout history, there are these folks, um, who are, uh, you know, bringing up the issues of their day uh, where the church is failing and, and uh, folks in the church are, are misusing those offices. And yeah, I, I just love that you said that. You, you could almost get me preaching on, on, on this idea, uh, you know, just to, to see that, uh, that spirit. Well, one of the things you said in the article, just to take it uh, a step further, and, and I love this, um, that you compare Paradise Lost um, with uh, the Divine Comedy. And, you know, if we look at what, there's five major epics, if we consider the, the two Homeric epics, um, and you argue that Dante, um, while we can appreciate Paradise Lost, and, and, you're, and I just want to remind our audience, you're coming at this as a Reformed Baptist, a Protestant, you're saying Dante uh, is superior, uh, or maybe I, maybe that's my word, uh, than uh, the Divine yeah. Comedy, to, or I mean, sorry, the uh, Paradise Lost. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, so I I am a, a um, as, as some as some say a, a black coffee Calvinist. Um, I I'm a, a five pointer down down the line. Um, I love uh, the the Synod of Dort and what they said in response to the the Remonstrance movement. Um, and I, and I hold that un, unequivocally. Um, and, uh, Milton, uh, was, was likely a, a, a form of Calvinism that, that I could get behind and agree with and is writing from that perspective in paradise lost. Uh, and there's some absolutely beautiful passages that bring that out. And, and, uh, the narrative that he tells is, uh, is striking in as a defense of, of sovereignty and providence and, the, the gift of the sun to us as our atonement, especially when it's taken in relation to paradise regained and to see uh, what, what the sun does um, in his earthly ministry. That said with, with a whole truckload of appreciation for Milton, um, I don't think Milton is what we need right now. Mm. Uh, Milton is a, a, a product of the modern world, early modern, right? He's, he's writing in the mid 17th century. Um, but it's after the, this shift, this enlightenment shift has started, started to take root in, in Europe, um, and in England. And, uh, what Milton, and, and one of the things I argue in my article is that Milton is presenting to us things to think about and to consider. He's presenting us with a, a narrative in order to justify the ways of God to man, right? As he says in book one, uh, he, is, he is giving something to us to consider. We are uh, an almost like objective observers that he is bringing a set of propositions to for our consideration. Um, and that's, that's a, a thoroughly modern way of, of thinking. We, you know, we, as scientists, we observe data. Uh, we are the objective eye that looks on the things under the microscope or in, in the telescope and we observe a uh, phenomenon, we write it down and we consider it. And it's, it's in that kind of, and maybe uh, Milton scholars will disagree with me, um, <laughs> but, and, and I'm, I'm happy to, to chat about this, but uh, I think that's the kind of thing that Milton is doing. Milton is presenting us with something. Dante is, is first of all, assuming just flat out assuming the sovereignty, justice, goodness, holiness, all pervasiveness of God and his glory. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, telling us to shut up and submit, fall on your knees, pilgrim, before this God who is a consuming fire. Um, and I think the need of the moment is not so much, here are some arguments to consider, however beautifully they may be rendered in poetry, 
the need of the hour is you need to shut up and submit to God. <laughs> you fool, <laughs> right? That, and that's what that's what Dante brings. And and the I mean the the very opening lines, the the prologue to the Milton versus the prologue to the Inferno or to the whole Divine Comedy. Uh, Milton is saying, you know, here's what I'm going to do, and and concluding with uh, justify the ways of God to man. Dante immediately immediately is in the journey of our in the middle of the journey of our life. Yeah, I awoke to find myself in a dark wood because the right direction had been lost. And and he goes on to say that he doesn't remember how he came here. He was so asleep when he left the true way. And immediately you're there. And 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 Dante is doing this intentionally, right? The the nostra vita, the our life. In the in the middle of our life, I woke up. So this is our journey. This is every man's journey. This is the journey we are on. And he invites us, the very first line, to, to, to know, not just to consider, but to know we are on that journey with him. And the, the journey he's about to take is the journey every soul takes, whether they want to or not. This is the human condition. The human, the human condition is to be in some uh, posture toward God, either away from him and therefore infernalized (laughs) or oriented toward him and being sanctified and made holy and being presented to him as, as beautiful through the work of the spirit. That's, that's the, the paradigm that Dante is writing in uh, that immersion of soul into this, uh, into this real journey that every person is on in this life. Um, And that's what I think we need right now in our, in our world. Um, as as much as I love Milton, as much as as much as his theology is more in line with my own theology, uh, I think Dante is the more potent poet for what what our needs are in this. That is that's beautifully said. Uh, what just to to kind of um, echo a little bit of what you said, I, I just want to read um, from uh, Canto Three, and, and folks who who've read the Divine Comedy are obviously going to. Be very familiar with these, you know, famous lines. But to sort of echo what you said about his assuming of God's providence and and who God is, you know, these are the famous lines as he's getting ready to enter Inferno, right? And he says, "Through me, one enters the woeful city. Through me, these are the gates speaking, by the way. Through me, one enters the woeful city. Through me, one enters everlasting pain. Through me, one enters mid a lost people." Justice moved my high, exalted maker, divine might, supreme wisdom, primal love, made me before all other things I was, saving that which was and is and will be, and for eternity I will endure. Abandon all hope, ye who enter. So this is over the gates, you know, as he's entering into an inferno. And and we, we discover from Dante's perspective that hell is, you know, prepared by God's justice, the, a God who is just, uh, divinely might, uh, uh, supreme wisdom, primal love. You know, these are the things that creates hell. That that's quite a perspective. Yeah, yeah. The, the, we don't think of hell as the product of love and wisdom, right? Right. We can, we can get behind power and might and and justice. That makes sense. But for hell to be the product, the the creation of love, is something that we have no concept of. Yeah. Um, but when you think about it, it makes, it makes perfect sense for God to love something, which he does. Obviously, he loves his creation. He loves himself. He loves the Son and the Spirit uh, and, the, and the Son loving the Father. And the, the, the love between the Son and the Father is the Spirit, um, as Edwards says, as Dante says um, in his work. That, that love um, necessitates the hatred of its corruption. When, when, when the world is corrupted, uh, specifically through the rational act of human sin, and, and this is something that's huge in the Inferno, uh, when, when man uh, distorts the, uh, his, the image that God has put upon him in whatever way, there's three broad categories, but in, in whichever way man distorts that image, uh, that is hateful to God because man has taken something beautiful taken something good, taken something, uh, taken the, the very image of God that he is meant to bear and to show forth and to manifest, and he's thrown mud on it. He's distorted it. He's cut it all up. He's made it ugly. 
and if you love that image, you you hate its distortion. If you don't mind the distortion, then you don't really love the image. Mm. And for and for uh, for love to be love, hatred needs to be hatred, and that's something Dante gets. Um, but then also wisdom, right? It's it's not just divine power and love. It's it's um, supreme wisdom, and that the the wisdom uh, uh, is what ties us into the idea of consequence. Uh, that there is there is rationality to this world. There's rationality to judgment. There's rationality to consequences. Uh, you put your hand in the fire, and lo and behold, <laughs> your hand is in the fire, getting burned. You know that, and uh, that consequence teaches. And so there's a wisdom that's that's here in this work as we witness. Uh, those souls who have lost the good of the intellect, as Dante will go on to say, uh, and the the consequences of their actions um, for those who have refused repentance to the end, who have maintained their rebellion to the end, who have kept their, uh, as, as one of the characters later on, um, gives God the bird, basically, uh, flips them both fingers. Uh, and And that's the attitude of every sinner in hell. You know, I'm here, and in a lot of ways, this is where Lewis uh, gets his idea that we're that we're well uh, acquainted with in Great Divorce. Uh, the sinners are here because they want to be. Yeah, right. This is this is the ultimate uh, expression of God saying, "Thy will be done" to rebellious, hard-hearted sinners. And there's a wisdom in that because it, it follows from their actions, uh, and and not only. It, in that structure of, of consequence is their wisdom. But then for us, as we read something like this, as we work through this in our own hearts and in, in our own desire for repentance and to grow out of our sin, there's wisdom for us to watch this happen imaginatively before us, which is true of all literature, right? This is, yeah. this is what the great books program, uh, the great books education is all about is to vicariously live through the stories of others that we ourselves might see ourselves in those stories, both in the good characters and especially in the bad characters and learn how to grow up through that interaction. And, and you couldn't get a better experience than the divine comedy. Um, and, and if you, if you want, <laughs> if you want a little smidgen taste, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the great divorce. This is Lewis's divine comedy, right? This is his sort of his, his uh, truncated take on it in a, you know, obviously an imaginative way. Um, right. Now you uh, you've translated Inferno, and you are right. working on um, Purgatorio and Paradiso now. Is that is that correct? Purgatorio is is finished. The translation and the versification is finished. I'm in the middle of wrapping up the you know the summaries for each canto uh, to get that off to our editor, and hopefully, uh, Lord willing, that'll be available by Christmas. And then Paradiso uh, will uh, Lord be. Lord willing, be available by uh, early spring of, of this coming year. Um, and then there's there's going to be reader's guides for both of those, as there is for uh, the Inferno, but those reader's guides will probably be available by next. Absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to ask you the question that, you know, <laughs> every preface always, you know, tries to answer of, of any new translation. Why a new translation of, <laughs> of the Divine Comedy? Yeah, certainly a, a new one was not needed. Uh, right there's over a hundred translations in English, um, many, many, many fine ones, many fine translations. Um, I am convinced that nobody, being honest with themselves, nobody translates the comedy for others. Yeah, they translate it for themselves. Like I, I wanted to read Dante in the original. I wanted to hear his words. I wanted to hear his cadences. Um, I wanted to experience him in the mother tongue, in his mother tongue, and and to do that, you know, I needed Italian and and needed to to, to learn Italian, learn the language, and then dive in. And then with Dante, particularly, and in, in particular, there's so many medievalisms and Latinisms that you need a good commentary to go through the Italian. Um, I, I I learned this recently that even Italian school children or or Italian high schoolers uh, read uh, read Dante with a uh, a modernized prose rendition on on the facing page, so they have Dante Dante on one side, and then a modern rendition on the other side. Because even modern Italians don't fully know how to understand uh, Dante, even even though uh, modern Italian is built off of Dante's Tuscan dialect. 
Um, so I, I did this because I wanted it. It was an entirely selfish affair. Um, I, I, I wanted to experience Dante in, in his tongue and then to be able to render that in, in, a, in a form that I could come back to uh, that reflected my own interaction with Dante, my own understanding of Dante, my own uh, understanding of what he's doing uh, to bring uh, my own emphases uh, to Dante, not not imposing something, but you know when you when you translate a work, um, there's so you know one word in one language can be translated in so many ways in another language, uh, and so uh, my understanding of what he's doing. Um, I'm wanting to draw out. I'm wanting to bring that out in in my word choice in how I translate. Um, and then just the the fun. I'm I've I've published some poetry in the past. Um, I enjoy form poetry. I enjoy old form poetry. Um, I despise modern poetry and <laughs> most most uh, uh, most translations these days that call themselves verse translations are free verse translations. Yeah, and most of those free verse translations are basically prose that have been broken up into different lines. <laughs> That's what I, I always tell students, and you know, uh, in writing classes that I teach, you know, they all want to do free verse, and it's like, no, that's just prose, right? You just yeah. <laughs> uh, with a line break. Yeah, uh, when, yeah. When, once you once you learn the forms and you can master the forms, then maybe you can explore with a little bit of that and see what you can bring right. to the table. But oh, that's right. awesome. Well, I I love that reason uh, for for translating. And by the way, um, I think it's a it's a beautifully done translation, and um, mm. and so I've I've really enjoyed it myself reading through it and and so i'm looking forward to uh seeing uh purgatorio and, and paradiso come out um and we'll have uh for our, our listeners we're going to have uh links to where you can where you can uh get this translation uh in the show notes so you can pick that up and and and, and get a copy for yourself so what's uh what's on the table for you now? You've got a you're in the PhD program and I'm assuming you're working on Dante there. Um what what's in store for you, Joe? Uh well, uh right now um is is getting getting myself out of purgatory. <laughs> pray for me. Um <laughs> a little Dante joke there. Um and and working through the rest of, of the commedia. Um we have plans to uh, create a a video course uh, lecture series uh, with Roman Rhodes, um, which will be exciting. Uh, that'll be next summer that we produce that. Um, there, there is a full length treatment of uh, Dante Protestant that article. There's a full length treatment of that in the works, or I, I should say, on the back burner in the works in my mind, uh, on the back burner where I want to take uh, uh, a Various scenes, some of my favorite scenes from the the Commedia, um, five to ten from each canticle. Uh, the canticle being Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso. Um, several, several of my favorite scenes from each, and and show from the perspective of, of a Protestant, show how this work uh, speaks to us as Protestants, uh, confirms a lot of what we believe about salvation. Uh, uh, life in this world, sanctification, holiness, what it means to be holy, what it means to live before God, uh, what it means to live in light of, uh, of, of God's uh, goodness and mercy, and, and how to understand this world in a, in a way that maybe we've, we've forgotten um, in the modern world, in the modern context. Um, you know, not wanting to, to sugarcoat the differences, not wanting to, to just gloss over those, uh, those areas of real distinction uh, and difference in doctrine, um, but but find the find the nuggets that I think are really helpful and explore those in a way that's uh, perhaps a little more pastoral than academic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that work is is something on the future on the on the horizon. Um, I would uh, uh, I would love, and this is what I'm hoping to do in my dissertation. I'm not yet at the stage in my in my course where I've I have this uh, been made official for me yet, but what I'd love to explore is something that I, I touched on in my master's thesis, uh, which again was on doxological pedagogy, that, that worship is what uh, orients education, uh, worship orients the classroom, 
um, and does so in, a, in an inescapable way. We, Augustine in uh, De Trinitate has this beautiful, beautiful passage um, where, where he says, we reflect the image of God in that we remember, understand, and love something. Uh, and when we remember, understand, and love anything that's not God, that is foolishness. Mm. But when we understand, when we remember, understand, and love him by whom we were made, that is wisdom. And and it's in the, you can you can read that in the context of what education is doing. We are being taught, instructed, equipped to remember and understand and love. Uh, and and when we when when God is the ultimate object of that of that triad of of what the soul does, um, inescapably, inevitably, uh, when God is the ultimate object of that, it is wisdom. He says, and then he says to say it more briefly, it's worship. Yeah. So. To, to remember, so if I look at a tree, okay, okay that's a tree. I, re, I remember that that's a tree. Those are branches, those are leaves, those are roots. I understand it. Okay, yeah, there's sunshine coming down, hitting the, hitting the leaves, and photosynthesis is happening, and nutrients are being brought, and the roots are gathering water, and you know, I understand what's going on. That memory and that understanding uh, is, is what the modern world says is the only thing that happens, right? That's the mechanist, mechanistic uh, worldview it says all that there is 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 the memory and the understanding uh, but they're lying because even they are teaching you to love something yes. whether it's yourself as authority uh, or them as the authority or or the the, the state as authority uh, we're being taught to love something some orienting principle uh, is being given to us uh, and that's and that posture is is what uh, Augustine and then what Dante uh, following Augustine uh, it means by love and, and so as a Christian, I need to look at a tree and go, yeah, that's a tree. I remember that. I understand this is what's happening. But more than that, my memory and understanding of that tree need to lead me toward a deeper allegiance to Christ uh, and, and then expand that to everything that I study, not just trees, not just botany, but uh, uh, literature and science and math and uh, Philosophy, every everything that I study, everything that I approach, comes in this uh, triform uh, way. I, I remember something, I understand it, and it's leading me to love something. And I need to constantly, uh, through through the through the work of the Spirit, and this is all grace, uh, but I need to constantly be remembering and reminding myself and understanding that this is drawing me towards something. And that something has to be God, or else it's all foolishness, or else it's all it's bookshelves in hell being lined with all the books I've read. You know what good is that right. if unless I'm uh, before the Lord uh, for eternity in in life, create or living as I was created to be, uh, as I was created to be uh, in relation to Him. Education leads us in that path, um, one one direction or the other. And I think Dante is really helpful in unpacking what that looks like in a highly imaginative and yet very approachable and visceral, tangible, palatable way uh, that, that, you know, in a different context, Lewis said, sneaks past the watchful dragons of piety yeah. <laughs> um, and, and gets at us in a way that, that, that bites us. And we, we, can, can take, we can take and go, okay, am, am I oriented toward God as, my, as the ultimate good? As the as as the object of my my uh, ultimate love, or is self, or the world, or satisfaction, which all of, everything not God ultimately um, reduces to self. So it's either self is God or God is God. Uh, self is the the idol that I worship, or God is uh, the true God that I worship. Um, and that's a really helpful thing that we see in Dante that I think uh, says a lot about how we educate. Our children, how we ourselves are educated, and I think there's a, a lot of richness there. That that's that's kind of one of the main projects that I have uh, before me that I want to want to dive into. I'm looking forward to that. Man, I'm looking forward to it too. You're singing our siren song there with that because that is, you know that that is the 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 you know the horn that we keep uh, tooting because the this is, you know, this idea that education could ever be secular, um, you know, only opens up this vacuum for whatever ideology or, or idol that, you know, is going to come in. And, um, and, and you're right when you, when you talk about, um, 
Dante and and the orientations of love. Now you could probably speak to this better than me, and so I'm I'm really just summing and truncating it. But it seems, uh, as I recall, in the Inferno, everyone is there because of love, either excessive, deficient, or perverted, right, in some way that it's not oriented toward God, or it's excessive toward a thing, or deficient in some way, right? Love is unordered. Right, and, and, and in that sense, it really mirrors, um, and there's a chiasm going here between Inferno and Purgatorio, uh, it mirrors what's happening in, in Purgatory um, as, as souls are being... Uh, rehabituated in virtue um but in inferno that's exactly right it's it's uh an excessive love for a good thing um a a deficient love for a good thing or a misplaced disordered love um and so the 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 lustful the avaricious the gluttons uh they all have an excessive love um for uh something that's good be it food sex uh marital relations uh, or, um, or possessions. Those are all things that are good in themselves, but we can be overly focused on them. We can, we can lift them up as our heart's desire, as our, uh, ultimate love. And, and if that, uh, if we maintain that posture towards those things to the end, refusing to submit them, refusing to, you know, hold our hands, uh, open with palms up to the Lord, uh, that doesn't lead anywhere good or nice or pretty. As Dante makes abundantly clear, as these souls are are um, subjected to the punishments that they are that reflect their heart's disposition, right? So one of the things this is slightly tangential, but one of the things that uh, Dante gets criticized for is that he's just too gross, right? He's just too mean. He's just too <laughs> judgmental. Um, how can he be so judgmental uh, in all of these punishments that he uh, mercilessly aff- afflicts on his on his uh, inhabitants? And he's just going, you know, this is what the sin really is, right? Let's just peel back the layers. Let's, let's take the curtain away. This is what lust really is. You're being blown about by something outside of yourself. You are not in control, right? You, you are on the winds of your lust and they are controlling you. Um, the gluttons are, are forced to, to lie in the mud and eat muck. Um, it's like this is what you're doing. You're you're stuffing whether it's food or anything else. You're you're stuffing yourself with that which cannot satisfy, right? Uh, so he's just peeling back the layers and going, "This is what your sin is really like." Yeah. Um, so you're doing it yourself, sinner. Um, but then, yeah, with the um, the circle of the violent, uh, it's it's a deficient love. They they don't have enough charity, and that it evidences itself in this violence towards others and. And you can be violent against God. You can be violent against self. You can be violent against your neighbor. Um, and and it is it is the, the the deficiency of love that leads you there. And then with the the eighth and ninth circles, it's uh, fraud, which is the intellectual sin. It's yeah. the sin that the cold hearted, calculated, premeditated, um, no passions involved, uh, no emotions involved. Um, I'm I'm going to kill you. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to deceive you. I'm going to betray you. Um, and that is, uh, uh, that is evidence of a thoroughly misplaced affection. Um, it, everyone has love. Everyone has affection. That's one of the brilliant things about Dante that he draws out. It's like everyone loves something. Yeah. But if, you, if, you, if you're not loving the right thing, or if you're loving the right thing in the wrong way, uh, that's bad. Well, and what you're describing, the way that uh, Dante, you know, treats these sins, like you were talking about, like in Canto Five, where you know they're blowing around in their, uh, you know, uh, uh, Paulo and uh, I'm forgetting the the other uh, character. Paulo and Frances. Yeah, uh, and and so you know they're blown around the winds of the eating the mud or running in the sand, the burning. These are the contrapasso, right? The this and and i i think that probably is one of the most striking things uh, in his poetry and his imagination um that is so stunning to me is that contrapasso you know just really shows you what what it is like you said to love something wrong or or deficiently or excessively but that, that wrong oriented love that unordered love um really is this thing right and this is the this is the consequence of it well i <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, please. But just quickly to, to say a word to Protestants like myself uh, about purgatory. 
uh, there's there's contrapasso going on in purgatory too. Um, but if we if we think about what this life is in this world, the life of sanctification, uh, the life of growing in holiness through the work of the Spirit and through the the um, the mortification of self, uh, the contrapasso that we see in purgatory, the you know the the boulders on our backs or the the eyes stone shut or uh, the 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 denying ourselves the the tree um, the the good foods those those are just images again vivid vivid images of what it looks like to mortify the flesh and you know that's going to look different for everyone he's not preaching uh, asceticism merely for the sake of asceticism he's he's saying this is this is there's a a, a habit that leads to a certain sin a disposition in us that is wrong that needs to be uh, Re, rehabituate it in, in light of virtue, in light of the work of the Spirit in us. And this is what this is one example of what it might look like. Here's a vivid, vivid image. Just as we saw all the vivid images of what sin really is in hell and in inferno, so now we're seeing in purgatory vivid images of what sanctification looks like. And I think coming at it that from that direction is a is a really beautiful and really helpful. And I think it's what Dante actually wants us to do because he's writing this to the living. Yes. He's not writing to the dead. He's writing this to the living, those of us who are still in this journey toward God and and for our benefit. And so I think that's a, a really helpful way if we can set aside the idea that, no, we don't believe purgatory exists. And, and I don't, as a doctrine, I don't think there is a purgatory. I can still take great benefit from purgatorio yep. and what Dante is doing imaginatively there uh, as I apply it to my own uh, life of sanctification and what the spirit is working in me and what he's calling me to do as I proactively dependent on his grace, as I proactively mortify the flesh. Ah, that's, I couldn't have said that better myself. I, I absolutely love that idea uh, for Protestants who have uh, a difficult time with, you know, the, the idea that Dante uses purgatory because he is writing to the living. And, and this is a discussion in our class that, you know, with students always comes up and, you know, with, with various students from, from different, you know, tradition backgrounds. So this always gets to be an exciting conversation, but you're right. He's, he's writing to the living. So, well, I would love, I wish we had another hour just to unpack so many things. It, it This feels like um, the, the first time I ever read Dante, my uh, professor in seminary, we, we spent uh, eight weeks, uh, you know, in, in the divine comedy. And he said, okay, now, you know, after all the discussions and readings and writing assignments and everything, he said, now that we've read Dante, you're ready to read Dante. right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, so it's kind of like, um, you know, I feel like that's, that's what this conversation is. Like now that we've had this, like now we're ready to have a conversation, but maybe, maybe as we wind down in the last couple of minutes here, um, I'd love to get your thoughts, um, you know, as a scholar, as a, as a former pastor and, um, someone with the, the imagination and vision that you have, uh, for recovering Dante and, and, uh, uh humanities as a, uh, way of spiritual formation and preparing the soul, what what role do you see um, classical Christian education or liberal arts playing in um, you know in our modern world and you know how does that play in with the current condition of of education maybe uh, you know pro- probably in America but it could be you know anywhere and I just wondered if you give us you know kind of final thoughts on that and then uh, leave us with a, a book or or something that you would recommend our readers would want to uh, read. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing that needs to be said, if Dante was writing today, uh, I think there very well could be a, a, a place in hell devoted to uh, classical Christian education. Ooh. And what I mean, and what I mean by that is we have every ability following Calvin, we have every ability to make an idol of something. Yeah. Right. And if we see classical Christian education as our savior, as that that golden ticket, that silver bullet that's going to fix everything, uh, then we've sorely misunderstood what education is. Yes. Uh, if we uh, put it on a pedestal and go, this is what's going to fix my kids, right? This is what's going to fix my kids' souls. Then, then uh, this is the pastor in me coming out. <laughs> <laughs> then you need to go back to to scripture. There, there will be. Kids in heaven who had a public education and kids in hell that had a classical Christian education. Education isn't the 
final thing that decides where we go. That said, right, uh, important qualification to start with. Uh, what classical Christian education offers uh, in light of Christian teachers bringing students to the word of God primarily, uh, bringing them in prayer to the throne of Christ, uh, calling on them to confess their sins and repent and believe in Jesus alone for their salvation. The blood of the cross is the only thing that, that redeems them. In light of that first and foremost truth, uh, what classical Christian education does is brings us into a liberated space, a, a space free from the, um, the, the modern worldview uh, in that we're reading things uh, outside of the modern worldview, uh, reading things going back all the way to Homer uh, and, and, and everything in between. Um, it, it brings us into a, a place that's free from a statist mindset uh, of control and conformity. Uh, it, it's teaching students how to think. It's, it's, it's bringing students to a place where uh, they are, uh, again, this is, this is now a trope, but it's still true, not just taught what to think, but how to think, how to critically understand the world that they see around them. And then with the, with the classical Christian approach, not only is that happening uh, in terms of understanding the world, but understanding the world in light of the fact that it was made by a triune God who has revealed himself through the world and through scripture. Um, and so having that ability to talk about the world as it really is, right, as it really exists, it, it has a, a, a fundamental meaning because it is made by God. It's not just a bunch of Plato that we have existentially conformed into our own likenesses or our own understandings. It, it has a realness to it. Uh, and a, and a, a givenness to it uh, that teachers have the opportunity within this model, within this framework, to really explore in some really beautiful and, and helpful ways. Um, I mean, there's so much that, be, that could be said, but I think, I think the last thing um, that I'll, I'll mention is what classical Christian education does, and I, I think this is true of Dante, this has certainly been my experience with Dante, is more than any other approach, it prepares a student for an optimistic understanding of the world. And how that happens is by uh, walking you through events after events through history, you start to see, okay, what we're doing today in America, as stupid as it is, as destructive as it is, is not the first time people have done this, right? That we're, we're not the first empire to fall. <laughs> we're, we're not the first city to be destroyed. Uh, we're, not the, we're not the first people to absolutely lose our minds in decadence. Um, and, and for the Christian student to realize that and go, oh, this has happened before. And guess what? The church has been there to offer hope and, and joy and restoration through the, wake, through the light of the gospel in the wake of all of this falling apart. That brings a, a, a resiliency and an optimism that I think is really important these days, um, especially as we, we raise up the next generation to face whatever nonsense is on the horizon. I mean, we think we live in nonsensical days. Just wait 10 years, just wait 15 years, just wait two years, right? And, and so as we equip our kids uh, for that, that coming, uh, those coming years, I think one of the things that they need is a strong sense of optimism and hope uh, founded on the goodness and the, the victory and triumph of the gospel. Um, and I think classical Christian education is a really helpful means to uh, foster that in our students. As we're looking at all of these works, as we're looking at all the history of, of the ages, as we're looking at what man is, right? Who is man? What was man created to be? What has man done with man over the centuries? And we start to realize that, okay, yeah, Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And so therefore I can have hope. And I can believe that God is God as much now as he was 2,000 years ago, as much as he was during the fall of Rome, as much as he was during the, the, the high corruptions of the medieval church, as much as he was during the Protestant Reformation, as much as he was during the Enlightenment, as much as he was during the Romantics. Um, God is God, and I can hope in him. And I think CCE does a great job of, of fostering that understanding. 
I love that orientation, that it is a vehicle, it is a way of understanding, but it is not the end, right? It is not the goal in, in terms so uh, to, to make it an idol. Beautifully said. Well, if uh, our listeners were to uh, pick up a book that you recommended, um, what should they read? I, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Everybody says that because you probably have a list of about, you know, 20 that you would like, but, you know, how do you narrow it yeah. down? Um, I could look at my bookshelf right now. Uh, there's Dante, 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 um, some more Dante over there. Um, the, so, <laughs> there's, there's some Dante there. Um, but to, to look outside of Dante, I think, uh, planet Narnia actually, mm. um, most of your listeners probably have already read that or have it on their wish list. Um, but I think that is a, a fantastic, um, doorway into a non-modern mindset through works that we love and understand already, or or at least if not fully understand, fully appreciate, um, or love or delight in, um, that would be one book, uh, that might get the wheels turning, uh, in terms of how do I think outside of the, 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 the materialistic modern worldview that, that has so gripped me. I think that's an excellent choice. And I'm going to also, again, recommend The Inferno, <laughs> the, the Divine Comedy translated by Joe Carlson. Joe, it has been fabulous uh, having you on the show today and getting to spend some time getting to know you and, and talking. We could probably talk for hours, but uh, appreciate you taking the time. Look forward to uh, the other uh, two coming out here very soon this uh, fall, uh, or uh, I guess December time, and then in the spring for uh, Paradiso. You can find these at romanroadspress.com, and I'll have the link in the show notes. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it.